Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7, uh, Highway 7, the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Monday, June the 27th, 2011, and this is episode... 692 of the Survival Podcast, and uh, today is Monday, so it's your feedback show. This is where you send emails to jack at the survivalpodcast.com with something like article for Jack or video for Jack or comment for Jack or something to that effect. Three little words that help me filter it in the subject line, and I try to get you on the air. Guys, I have a huge backlog. I, I know I apologize a lot for not getting everybody on there, but there's no way I can. I'm really thinking about moving this to uh, to maybe maybe two weeks a month doing two shows like this a week. Not doing two shows like this every week, but maybe maybe the first week and last week of the month when most of the news items come in, and that's when we do stuff like this, uh, maybe doing uh, a Tuesday version, uh, doing a Monday-Tuesday in a row. Uh, let me know what you think about that in today's show comments, if you'd be open to that. I just want to really cover more of what you guys send in, and um, sometimes it just it just seems that I'm letting way too much go to the side, so to speak. And most of the stuff that comes in for this doesn't make up a whole show. Actually, one might today. I'm going to talk about one, the first one today, and then I'm going to ask you if you'd like to hear me do a full show on this and go into it with a different angle, and maybe some of the angle I'm going to give you today. It's a subject I talk about a lot, but I have never done full show on it, so. Uh, we'll, we'll try to take more and more of your feedback and give you more and more of what you want. Before we get into today's show, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by making sure the show's here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Sponsor of the day number one today, KnifeKits.com. I'm real jazzed up on KnifeKits.com right now because a listener uh, who will remain nameless until he gets done with the project and we put out a little viral video for him and all is uh, making me a custom-made, handmade knife. And it's going to have handle material made out of mammoth tusk that he's getting from KnifeKits.com. Uh, from the very first time I found out you could get mammoth tusk at KnifeKits, I thought that was cool to be able to walk around with a real tool you could use, but also carrying a fossilized piece of prehistoric history and connect with uh, the, uh, what would they call those folks? The, uh, the I can't remember now, the uh, the Clovis people, I guess, uh, who actually hunted mammoths and used their, uh, used their tusks and their bones and their meat. Uh, the earliest people in North America, as far as we know anyway. That seems pretty cool. And Knife Kits doesn't just have really exotic stuff like that. They're a place where anybody and everybody can go learn how to make knives. You can buy kind of a simple kit where you do your final polishing and sharpening and fitting, and pretty much everything just kind of fits together. Or you can go get raw materials from the exotic to the typical and build knives as a master bladesmith if you know how to do that. So check out KnifeKits.com. Remember, if you're in the MSB, you get a discount on Knife Kits, so check your MSB uh, back office before... You, uh, you, you purchase from them and make sure you get your discount. Next up today, ready-made resources. What more can you ask from a company than to say, this is who we are, this is what we do, and then do it. That's what they do. They provide you all the resources for your prepping, ready-made and ready to go on their website. Point, click, and go and get them. And I got an email from Robert, and uh, they have a just a big truckload of Mountain House that came in. 
uh, that they're shipping as soon as it's ordered on a first-come, first-served basis. I'll put a link in today's show notes where you can get direct access to that. And uh, the reason that's a big deal is Mountain House has been hard to come by lately. Uh, so they've got a large amount in stock and ready to roll. Also remember, Ready Made Resources gave away an AR-7 survival rifle. When I'm in Dallas uh, next week uh, to close on the house, I'll be picking my rifle up from a local FFL down there that I know. And uh, I'll be doing a review on that for you. And they'll be giving away an AR-15 uh, Custom Rock River Upper next month. Uh, because we did so good on getting so many entries. The winner is Nurse Brandy from Oklahoma. That's how we're going to identify her. She's comfortable with that, doesn't want the last name given out. I understand that. Uh, but that was our winner, a nurse uh, and a lady nurse at that up in Oklahoma won a free AR-7 survival rifle. Uh, nurse Brandy, uh, congratulations, but you will not be winning the AR-15 upper. Uh, we're going to limit this to, to one a year that you can win. I'm trying to bring a lot more in. I've got a big uh, contest coming to you from Shelf Reliance starting tomorrow, hopefully. They need to get a landing page up. As soon as they do that, I'll announce that contest. But they're giving away quite a bit of stuff, too. And then in July, we'll be doing the Rock River upper from uh, Ready Made. And I'm going to be hitting up everybody else and see what other big, and I mean big prizes, I can get given away. I want to do about two big contests a month for you guys from now on. All right. Um, last but not least, do consider joining the member support brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content, you support the show at 20 cents an episode, yada yada. Hook up with me on Facebook and Twitter, man. We are having a blast on Facebook, especially right now. I'm posting all kinds of pictures of wild plants and things like that. I'm giving away free member support brigade membership. Some people are extending. I mean, we're just having a blast there. We're learning from each other. We're teaching each other. Occasionally we get an ass hat, but that's what banning people is all about. Alright, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. I said, I was going to talk about something in the lead-off today uh, from a little bit of a different angle. I'm going to be a little more positive about it, I think, today in some ways. I'm going to explain myself about this. I'm going to give you the listener's opinion about this subject that I've talked to about a lot. And uh, then I'm going to kind of clarify some things that I don't think get understood by people that are like married to the idea. And I want to point out what I'm not saying, and then I want to ask you guys a question. Do you want me to go into this topic in kind of a unique way? Let me read you the email, and it'll all make sense since I read it to you. This is from uh, a listener we'll just call Daniel, and he is an English teacher uh, at a middle school. Okay, And here you go. As a college grad with multiple degrees, I can tell you that most of college degrees out there are crap and worthless. Colleges for specialized training to get a specialized job. My wife and I both possess such degrees. Most people, however, are wasting time. The college degree has become a sham and a fraud. People are throwing money at a title in hopes of it paying off. This is simply an educational lottery. Wake up, America! I'm saving for my daughter's education, but I'm going to be pushing her towards working and eventually owning a business unless she wants a specialized degree. And yes, she's brilliant. Um, I agree with that statement. But where is my new angle on this? This is what I want to point out. Whenever I talk about the college scam, and I do see it as a scam, and all this phony money being pumped into it, and these people that are ending up in debt for the rest of their lives to pay off a student loan, getting a degree, coming out of school, $40,000, $60,000 more in debt, going to be in debt for the rest of their life over it, can't get away from the debt without dying, and they have a job as a bartender. My son's a bartender. Okay, he don't need a degree to get a job as a bartender uh, or some other things like that. And what I say, and I'll keep saying it, is half the people in college today do not belong there. I want to make sure that you get what the other side of this means. And I get so much resistance from the dedicated college crowd about this that, that I just, 
If you're that educated, you should be able to figure this out. If half the people that are somewhere don't belong there, what does that mean about the other half? That means the other half belong there. I get all these emails, I got my degree and I'm doing great. Good, you're one of the people that should have went. My point has never been that college itself is bad or the idea is bad or that no college degree carries any weight or that no one should go to college. My statement is not everyone should go to college. And the problem has become that that is the message. And I want to tell you about a listener, another listener that wrote me an email. And he said, look, if we start stop saying that everyone should go, then the first people to get written off are going to be the poor and the disadvantaged and certain races. And I'm like, you know what, bullshit. First of all, bullshit. Second of all, you can't do honorable things with a lie. So basically this listener was acknowledging the message that everybody should go is a lie but saying it's a lie that we need to continue to tell for the greater good. There's some people that have thought like that before, not equating this listener with that, but those are people like the Nazis. If we tell a lie long enough and loud enough, people will believe it. Okay, And that's what's happened with this propaganda. What is my other angle? I've had a couple listeners say that you know they're tired of the obsession with entrepreneurialism whenever the topic comes up and, and starting a business. Some people don't want to own a business. I completely agree. I think there's people that shouldn't go to college that should start a business. I think there's people that should go to college and then start a business. I think there's people that should go to college and get their ass a job. I think there's people that should not go to college and get their ass a job. Some of those people that don't go to college maybe need to go to tech school. Some of them need to go out and learn how to run a CAT scan machine. I mean, there's a million things to do that don't require a BS or a BA or, or a master's or any of that other stuff. And then there's people that should be in there. So what I've been asked by a few listeners to do, but I don't want to do this if only a few people want to hear it, is how do you determine whether or not you should be there? You know, what, what, what evaluation should you make on yourself for whether or not you should go to school? And if you do, how do you do it most affordably possible? If there's enough interest in that, I'll do a show on that. I don't know that there will be, and I don't like to do shows that maybe 15 people want to listen to. I want to do shows that the vast majority, not everybody's going to like every show, but there's 25,000 of you guys now, and if you know, if half of you want to hear it, we can do that, and the other half can listen to a different day's show. Um, but if, if you know, like 15 want to hear it. So if you guys want that and I get enough comments and enough feedback on it, I'll do that show. Uh, but I just wanted to also let the listener speak. And here's someone who's an English teacher telling you the same thing that I've been telling you. All right, next up today, Brent up in Prince Edward Island uh, says, Can you effectively use O-tube absorbers in mason jars to store dry food? I discovered this link on dehydrating eggs. It's a link about dehydrating eggs. I'll put a, a link to it today uh, on the show notes for you guys. And uh, I also found two quart mason jars and was thinking of dehydrating eggs, dropping some 300cc O2 absorber in it, but was not sure if the jar would seal completely since you typically soak the lids and the rubber becomes pliable. Thoughts? Thanks. Well, the answer is you absolutely can. Uh, if you watch Tammy from Dehydrate to Store's videos on YouTube, you'll see that one of the ways she stores her dehydrated vegetables, especially the stuff that's like on the rack to be used you know, day to day, not the long term storage stuff, is exactly that. Typical jars, canning jars, uh, drop in some O2 absorbers, put the ring on them, and every time you open it, you get that. It's just a matter of putting enough uh, O2 absorbing capability in there versus how much is being stored. Um, so, yeah, you can do that. Uh, on dehydrating eggs, I think I've seen her do that on video. If she says it's cool, it's cool. 
I have not done any egg dehydration myself. It's something I probably should do. I pretty much look at it this way. Honeyville Grains uh, provides a lot of great stuff, and one is a really awesome egg powder. So I have pretty much decided that as far as having eggs in the house as a long-term storable, uh, I'm going to get mine there. If you're an MSB, they give you 10% off as well. Uh, and they ship anything, and as much as you order for, I think, 10 bucks is the total shipping cost. It's If you order one thing, shipping is $10. If you order 100 things, shipping is $10. And you can buy, like, sacks of hard winter reed at Honey, Honeyville, Honeyville Grain. So unless you've got chickens laying eggs for you, uh, which I will in the future, and uh, at, at that point, maybe if they're doing more than you can use right away, maybe this is something to do. But to me, it just seems like an energy loss situation. I've got to cook the egg, then I've got to dehydrate the egg, Then I got to put the egg in a jar and 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 what have you. Um, so uh, unless you're making up a little bit for uh, for going out to to do some trail trail stuff, you know, out there cooking some food on the trail, I don't really see that it makes a ton of sense because the egg powder from Honeyville and quite a few other people, honestly, is really really good. You can't really tell the difference from fresh eggs. Um, but you know they're probably coming from chickens in a giant hen house too. So six and one half dozen the other. But the the technique you're asking about, Brent, it works fine. You can do it with dehydrated vegetables. You can do it with anything that you can store long term in a low oxygen environment. The one issue you have is since the jar is clear, you're getting rid of one of your food's enemies, oxygen, but you're not getting rid of the other big enemy, which is light. So if they're stored in a dark cabinet or something like that, it helps even further. What I'd love to see, and I don't know if they exist, and if they do, they're probably expensive as hell, is uh, canning jars that look like beer bottles. You know, that dark brown color that helps shade out UV light. Um, my instinct is there's a reason that's not done, and that is due to being needing to be able to see the food clearly for general canning operations. But for dry storage, they you know label the lid. That would be a great solution to help hold that light back. All right, next up one today. Uh, this is from Ari, and Ari um, sends me an email actually from the contact on the the site. And it says, uh, results, soldiers, farming, and PTSD, or post-traumatic stress disorder. Dear Jack, regarding your shows about farming and using that as a therapy for stress, you are 100% correct. This isn't a new discovery. The ancient Romans knew about this. Roman legions were not allowed to enter Italy after they went to war. Their soldiers were given land from the territories they conquered, and they would usually turn to farming the lands. The Romans knew that after the horrors of war that the soldiers went through, they could not return to Rome. They gave them land to farm to rehabilitate them and give them a safe future. Imagine if cheap farmland was given to returning U.S. soldiers to create small farms where they can raise their families and food without the stress of a mortgage so they can recover in peace. I bet you it would be a lot cheaper than the annual budget of the VA and all their rehab efforts which fail for most soldiers with PTSD. Thank you and all the soldiers for your service to our nation. Uh, God bless you, our soldiers and our country. I love your show, Ari. Ari, thank you. And you're, I really think that that's, uh, that's interesting. I did not know that, uh, that Rome had that policy back in the heyday of the Roman Empire. I guess it kind of sucked for the people whose land they were taking away uh, in their conquest. But since that was happening anyway, I guess it uh, made sense to put the soldiers to work on a farm versus... Uh, You know, bringing them home and having them uh, go nuts in the uh, in in the local uh, cities and streets. I think there's more to that, though. I think that in the past it's been the case that, and even in the present, it's been the case that in uh, 
in, in many situations, the government feels, fears the military um, as much or more than they fear their, their people that they're ruling. Uh, they always see the military as a threat that could act in a coup and overturn the government, and history has shown that to happen. But that is interesting. I also like your idea. I don't know that I like it as a mandated person. Sounds like a Roman is like, okay, you're done. You finished your service. You're not a soldier anymore. Here's 40 acres and a mule and stay your ass here. Don't come home. I don't want to do that to our boys. Um, but if they had a voluntary program, uh, soldiers who had served in active duty combat uh, at their choosing could receive a certain parcel of land, uh, mortgage and debt free, and maybe property tax free for a certain number of years until they got it off the ground. Uh, zoned agricultural. Uh, and there's so much raw land out there. There's so much cheap-ass land. I mean, those of you guys that think our country is just busting at the seams with population and there's no room, you spend too much time in the cities, and you feel that way in a city. My wife and I just drove from Texas to Florida and back. We took two different routes. And we can tell you that in every drive we've ever taken like that, if you actually don't use a plane and get in your vehicle and drive across this country, there's massive amounts of land that's available out there. And you look at it sometimes and wonder why there isn't more inexpensive land available. Who owns all this freaking land? Um, but there's so much, I mean, absolutely desolate, empty space out there. There's more wilderness in America today than there is in Africa. So there are places it could be done, it could be sustainable, and it could be done sensibly. Uh, so I'd like it as a, uh, as a voluntary program. I don't know how many of our soldiers would take it. I guarantee you when I got out, if they would have offered me that, I, I would have been happy to do it. I think there'd be people going in just for the opportunity. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing, but it's something to think about. I would like to see more done with this, though. I think the work that's been done so far has shown that if you get it, I, again, I'm going to go back to what I said originally about this. I don't think... It's just because they're farming that it helps them. I think it's because they come back with a sense of purpose. I'll have to drop this on you. Another listener emailed me. I can't remember his name. It was one of those emails you read and you kind of file it somewhere and don't remember where you put it. Um, but he said the other thing that we don't think about today is in World War II, when you were done, you, you'd finished your, your, your battle, your fight, and you were going to come home, they put you on a ship And you were on that ship for a couple months coming back across the Atlantic. You didn't get on a, a plane and, and just show up today. And you spent all that time with people that understood what you went through, uh, that went through it with you. Uh, you spent your time with a guy next to you, and both of you knew the same guy that wasn't going to come home. And you had that time to decompress and to to be with each other and to be understood by each other before you were back in an area where no one really understood you. And that today, you know, our soldier gets, you know, a leave, right? so he's going to go back. And he's right in the middle of the fight, and uh, he comes back to the rear that evening, and he's just been shot at, and he gets in a Humvee, and they take him off to an airstrip, and the helicopter takes him over to a bigger airstrip, jumps on a Freedom Bird. Eighteen hours later, he's smack dab in the middle of Nebraska. So 18 hours ago, he was listening to boom, 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 boom. And now he's at home with his mom and dad. And he didn't have that opportunity to decompress with people that understood. I think that's part of it as well. I don't know what the solution to that is, um, but maybe it's some level of when people come home, having a place where all, it's all combat vets together for a while um, and uh, kind of a little bit of an isolation and some time to think about things and decompress. I'm not sure how you'd work that out, but I think there is something there. All right. Um, The next one is something I've been saying that I fear, and 
it's uh, something that's going to be very difficult to get done because I'll tell you what, people are going to be highly resistant to it. But right now, states are looking to the Internet to close budget gaps. And basically what they're saying is right now, if I'm on the Internet and I buy from you and you're in New York and I'm in Arkansas, neither you know, I don't pay sales tax and you don't collect it. If I'm in New York and I buy from you, it's in-state commerce and you pay sales tax. But let me just read a little bit of the article to you and then we'll talk about it. Uh, Austin, Texas, state governments across the country are laying off teachers, closing public libraries and parks, reducing health care services, but there's one place they could get $23 billion a year if they could only agree on how to do it. Internet retailers such as Amazon.com. That's enough to pay for the salaries of more than 46,000 teachers, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics in California. The amount of uncollected taxes from Amazon sales alone is roughly the same amount cut from child welfare services in the current state budget. And I could keep reading it, but you get the point. They want to go after all that money. Now, you notice how, why are journalists in the tank for government all the time? It's written as though Amazon took the money away. Because it's almost the exact same amount of money that they had to cut, you know, from the child welfare services. Like Amazon took the money from the children. Right? Amazon built a successful business that employs tens of thousands of people, that enables tens of thousands of small vendors to sell through them, that enables tens of thousands of Internet affiliates to earn income with them. They've done more to stimulate the economy of America than Obama's stimulus pro program did or Bush's TARP program did. Far more. But yet they like took the money from these kids in California. It's stupid. But what? here's the problem. How can California justify charging sales tax to a person purchasing something from California but they're in Georgia? This is just not done. It's not that the Internet's a loophole. And that, that's how they're going to play this. That's how they're going to, well, it's just because it's the Internet. No, it's not. If, if I call you up on the phone and order something across the phone from you in California from Georgia, there's no sales tax. Back in the, remember the JCPenney catalog, Sears catalog? Remember all those big catalogs? Now we get the little bitty ones that they use as like marketing pieces. But remember the days of the big catalogs before the Internet? You know what I'm talking about? Like the three-inch thick Sears catalog that had the big toy section when you were a little kid and you looked through all the toys, the wish book. Remember that? Right? In those days when we ordered through those, we didn't pay sales tax on them either because it's interstate commerce. So the, the guy that sent this to me, his name is, let me see, David. And David says, the question in my mind, how would states collect taxes on trade that is basically interstate? It's not purely one state's purview. If the purchaser is in state A and the seller is in state B, odd thought, are there older laws on the books from pioneer times when purchases like this were originally ramping up? I don't know about old pioneer times. There were probably no taxes. I mean, that's, we didn't pay all these taxes back then. But here's, here's how this would work. This is the only way they could make it work. Right now, if I am in Georgia and you're in California and I buy from you, when I buy from you, you use some type of a shipping service to send it to me. In general, it's thought legally this way. When you put the final label on it and send it, At that point, the shipper has possession, but it belongs to me now. It's en route to me, and I've taken title to the goods. So if this ever does happen, the way it will work is you'll have to charge sales tax as a seller in your state. And when, when Georgia says, well, that's bull because the guy spent the money from Georgia in California, California's going to say, well, if he took a vacation, flew to California, and spent the money in California on the street, we'd charge him. It's where he takes title to the goods. And besides, when your guy in Georgia sells to us in California, 
then you know what? You collect the sales tax. So it's a wash. So it's based on actually who does the selling. And that's how they would do it. And they're going to try to do this. They're definitely going to try to do this. And the people that will do it first will be California. Why? Because California already does things no other state does when it comes to taxes. Uh, my business partner, Neil, ended up in California for tax issues of about $200,000 because we had a couple contractors that worked there. Even though they didn't live there, even though they were out of Texas uh, from, his, from his technical agency, and no other state. And the reason we ended up in, into him for so much money was because we just flat out didn't know. Because no other state in the in the nation works this way. Because they're cash starved out there. They're on the verge of bankruptcy. So they'll probably be the first ones to try to do it. And what they'll just do is this. They'll just pass a state law that says if you sell anything in the state of California to anybody in state or out of state, they're taking title to the goods when you ship it. That means it's in state commerce, right? And and we're taxing it. And then it'll get challenged and I'm not saying it'll 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 hold up. But that'll be that'll be the angle they take, and that's how they would ferret it out, because it's the only way they would have a legal leg to stand on. And as dumb as those ass clowns are, they're pretty good at tweaking the law. Uh, next one. Uh, this one says, uh, Jack, I seem to remember someone telling me about this happening within the next few years. I was mowing my lawn last month. Looks like the timetable accelerated a bit. And this is something I talked a little bit about on uh, Thursday's show last week about the big shift coming. And I posted this on Facebook, and some people said, I don't understand why this is a problem. Why do we have to worry about this? It's not like Brazilians hate us or anything. But the story is on Bloomberg, and the headline is, Brazilians buy Miami condos at bargain prices as real gains, uh, the real gains, 45%. The real is the Brazilian currency. So that's as their currency gains 45%. Let me read this to you. Frederico, Frederico as, as, Frederico <laughs> went to Florida looking for a second home. He left with three, paying $300,000 and $500,000 for condos in two Miami Towers and $1 million for a unit at the Trump International Resort in nearby Sunny Isles. I bought one of these to use as a vacation home and the other two as investments as Zavedo, uh, 39, president of Construo Atlanta Latita, whatever that is, uh, housing development company, said in a telephone interview from his office in Sao Paulo. It's actually very cheap in Miami compared to here. Surging real estate prices in Brazil and currents in the currency's 45% gain against the U.S. dollar since 2008 are sending Brazilians to South Florida in search of bargain vacation homes and property investments. That's helping bolster Miami's condo market with total sales increasing 79% in the first five months of 2011 from a year earlier. According to data from the Florida Association of Retailers, retailers released today, in the Miami area, Brazilians bought 9% of the homes and apartments sold to international buyers in the last 12 months through March 2010 behind only Canadians and Venezuelans, according to the Miami Association of Retail Retailers. Uh, since then, anecdotal evidence certainly points to significant increase, said Linda Fernandez, a spokeswoman for the group. In May, international clients bought about 60% of existing houses and condos and 90% of newly built homes, the association reported today. Those of you that want to know why this is a problem, please listen to this line again. In May... International clients bought about 60% of existing houses and condos and 90% of newly built homes, the association reported today. That's why it's a problem. Because literally, not figuratively, literally, foreign interests are buying the city of Miami. 
buying it. These are not immigrants. Okay, These are not Brazilians moving to Miami to hang out here and stay here and be here forever. These are Brazilian citizens living in Brazil using their currency, which is strengthens against our currency, to buy our cities. While we are in a default and a depression status, our cities are going to default. I'm going to read to you about one that's starting to do that today in a little bit. And here we go with exactly what I said would happen. This is what I said two years ago. As this recession wanes on us in the future, and it will, and it has, our dollar will weaken, strengthen, weaken, but overall its trend will be continuing to weaken. And even if we say it's strengthening, it'll be strengthening against, you know, the overall global currency system versus directly inc uh, increasing its strength against the Chinese currency, which they'll float to match ours and then just print more so they can buy what they want. The, Brazil the Brazilian currency, the Indian currency, and the Russian currency, that those currencies would do well against the dollar. And specifically, the real out of uh, Brazil has done very well. And then they would use this strengthening currency. Private individuals would come in and start buying up our nation at a discount. Because while their economy is booming and our economy is in bust, we become vulnerable and they go in and buy our land. This is why some nations have a law that say foreigners cannot own land. If you want to go to Mexico and buy land, you can't do it as an American citizen. You can get a 100-year lease, but you can't buy it. You can't take the property into the wealth of your own family and hand it down generation to generation. It's reserved for the people of Mexico. It doesn't really work out that cleanly in Mexico, but that's the intent anyway. Well, that's exactly what doesn't happen here. And we've made our nation very open to that because we believe that bringing in foreign investment is a good thing. And in some ways it is. But there's a time when you're, you're weak and the other side is very strong and it leaves you to a situation where you can end up with the majority of your property held by people that live outside of your nation. And that certainly weakens a nation. That, let me put it to you this way. In a relationship where I own a house and you rent it from me, who has the stronger financial situation? Well, I do. I'm using your money pay for my house to accumulate my wealth. As a tenant, I might be fair with you. I might be giving you a really great deal, whatever you want to see. But in the end, I am using you. You are my tool to build my wealth. The nation of the United States is slowly becoming the tool of nations like Brazil and China to build their wealth. And it's exactly what they're doing when they buy into our property with a strengthening currency and a weakened market. Uh, it's apparently from some listeners have told me, I don't have any stories about it for you uh, on, on the news, but I've heard quite a bit about China buying up pieces in California. So this is happening. It's part of the entire doomsday scenario, I guess you say, that I've lined out for you of how the, our nation continues to weaken in the global marketplace. This is not the end of the world as we know it. Again, this is a shift, just like I talked about Thursday. And this is another indicator that it's coming. I will, of course, include a link to that story in today's show notes. Uh, Brent up in Prince Edward Island has another one for me today. I gave him two because he had some cool ones and easy ones to talk about today. Uh, Brent says, short, I posted a story for a few months back about a Prince Edward Island farmer having to stop selling eggs because they weren't inspected. I don't know if you remember that typical ass clownery uh, from the Canadian government going in and saying, you can't, if this is a bed and breakfast, been in operation for like 50 years. And um, they, they sold their eggs and they fed their eggs to their guests. And uh, the government said you had to, you know, even though you have chickens and eggs, you have to, like, you can eat your eggs, but you can't give them to people. You have to go buy eggs, even though you own a chicken house, and then feed those to your guests. 
So that, those people quit. Well, here's one place uh, that, uh, that Brent sends me that is doing work around the problem. They're selling the cartons and giving away the eggs. I don't know how long they'll, they'll get away with this, but let me read a little bit to you. Uh, a health food store in eastern Prince Edward Island is looking for a way around health regulations that provincial officials have told them to stop selling eggs they buy from local farmers. The eggs haven't been inspected. Now, what do you think the government does to inspect a freaking egg? I mean, seriously, do you think they go through every single egg and, and run some kind of chemical analysis on it? Let me read, because I'm just going to get all angry. An official say that it violates health regulations. Mary and Chris Merrimus of the Turning Point Health Food uh, in Montague have been selling eggs from local producers for seven years, but they were told last week to stop. The eggs are still available at their store, but they said they're giving them away. If you want a carton of carrying them, however, in, it is uh, $2.75. Mary Mammus told CBS News Tuesday the rules don't make sense because farmers are allowed to sell their eggs directly to customers. Uh, our suppliers would be allowed to set up a farmer's market, so that's great, said Mary Mus. People say we can't, why can't the farmer just bring them here and for convenience we buy them here? And we're not allowed to sell them, they're the same eggs. The Mary Mus have been selling about 50 dozen eggs a week. Customers are looking for local eggs. They want to know where they come from and that they're raised properly, uh, not in little cages, said Mary Mus. Uh, they seem to be very happy with the product. So everything's fine, everybody's happy, nobody's sick, nobody's gotten sick, no one's going to get sick. But the government sticks their hands in this. Uh, you guys up there in uh, in Canada, keep an eye on this one. Let me know if the government comes in and shuts down their workaround or if it works. It would seem to me it would have to work. Here's the problem. Somebody would have to be able to come in then and say, yeah, I want a dozen eggs for free, but I don't want the carton. I'll just, just take them in my hands or I have my own little bag. And they would have to let them do it. So if the government wanted to be a bunch of jerks, they could just send a bunch of their government goons in there every day, take all the eggs away free, and, and ruin their little workaround. So there are there are vulnerabilities there. Um, but I guess you could put it limit one dozen per customer. And uh, minimum you must take is a dozen. So then it would be a little bit more difficult. I don't know. I'd like to keep an eye on this one. But I think it's ridiculous that these people have to do this in the first place. More government run amok. Um, next one comes to your, uh, to me from Mario. Mario says, wanted to hear your opinion about energy from thorium. Jack, I heard about this website on science podcast I occasionally listen to. It seems feasible, uh, and a renewable energy option. I wanted to see what you think from some of your past shows. It seems like you feel a bit anti-nuclear energy. I do agree. Our current uranium-based nuclear energy method is horrible, especially since it was based on nuclear weaponry productions. Uh, this method of using thorium seems to be safe and more efficient. Again, I want to find out your opinion on it, Mario. Uh, first of all, I'm not anti-nuclear. I actually think that nuclear energy makes a hell of a lot of sense. I think building a nuclear plant in the flood zone of a major river system or on a fault line on an ocean subject to tsunamis is stupid. I think using 40-year-old reactor technology is stupid. I think if all the freaking anti-nuclear people would get the hell out of the way and let us build new state-of-the-art nuclear facilities, like some of the systems they're building today in France, we could get a lot more out of our nuclear energy. As far as thorium, thorium is that silver bullet that all of the uh, people that don't believe in peak energy keep talking about. Uh, this is my opinion on thorium reactors. Get off your ass and build some. I do believe it is inherently much safer. In a thorium reactor, if something happens, it basically goes to a cold stop and just shuts down. You don't have any of the problems uh, that you get from a uranium-type uh, uh, system. 
You also don't get a whole ass load of spent fuel rods that take years and years to cool down after you're done with them. So I think that thorium, as far as nuclear energy is concerned, is the way forward uh, until we can get into a, a place where we start doing fusion instead of fission anyway, uh, somewhere out in the Buck, Roger era, Buck Rogers era. Um, but my problem with thorium is everybody talks about it and nobody really does it. Uh, if we can get some people doing it and proving it out, and if we can get some of the... Uh, The, 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 uh, the environmental tenors out of our faces, maybe we could do that. Uh, I do think that we really need to take a good hard look at our nuclear industry in America overall. Uh, we've recently seen some of the vulnerabilities. There's two plants in Nebraska uh, with severe flooding problems. I do think that they have the situation as under control as it can be. My one concern here is one of those plants in Nebraska um, is like no real risk because like it's empty. They just emptied it. The spent rods aren't there. The active rod, there's nothing there. Uh, they're refueling it and, and getting ready to fire it back up again. It's basically in a shutdown for maintenance. The other one is active, running, and has all the fuel rods from all the plants in the state. That's where they store all the spent fuel rods at. So the ones they pulled out of the other, the empty one, they took there. Uh, spent rods are a severe environmental hazard. Uh, they have a tremendous amount of stuff that they give off. It's the big concern at Fukushima. Uh, it's the spent rods that are heat, have heated up and continuing to go and, and are causing so many problems at one of the, one of the reactors over there. Because over there they've got the rods stored on top of the main reactor. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's just an entire comedy of errors and catastrophe that has gone on over there. So I, I think there's a lot of vulnerabilities in nuclear power. And I'd like to see us do a better, safer job. But I think if we're going to go into the world of cleaner energy, that nuclear is one of the things that we have to do and we have to do right to get there. Uh, we can't build enough windmills and solar panels to do everything we need done to keep the country running uh, or the modern world running right now. We eventually can get to a point where they can provide the majority of what we need. And that would make us less dependent on fossil fuels, which... Uh, you know, just because I don't believe in global warming doesn't mean I think we should burn all the oil and coal we can. It caused plenty of pollution, real pollution, plenty of mining pollution from coal. Uh, clean coal is a myth. There's no such thing as clean coal. If you're from coal country, you know this. If you've ever seen what a strip mine looks like, you know this. If you've ever seen a mountaintop removed, you know this. If you've ever seen a creek where the rocks have an orange, rusty-colored slime on them, that you just look at and you don't even understand what that is, and you, if you've ever seen that and you didn't know what it was, it's sulfur from the coal mine operations leached into the groundwater at such concentrations that it oxidized. It looks at like rust because basically it's what it is. It's sulfur rust, oxidized sulfur. And, of course, that pulls the oxygen out of the water and kills all the little creatures. I mean, it's just, it is a horrible, 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 dirty fuel. So those of you that think I'm not for the environment because I don't believe that the polar bears are going to die because I drove a Humvee, uh, you don't understand what you're talking about. Uh, but, but we we need a, a consorted effort to, to wean ourselves off of a high-polluting fuel like coal, which makes most of our electricity in this country, uh, and a, a fuel that we're highly dependent on like oil, uh, which runs most of our cars. And we need a bridge 
to get into this this new world where we can use natural sources to create our energy. And some of the things we can use as a bridge are better, more safe nuclear energy and things like landfill-generated biogas. I mean, there's uh, folks that, I, that I'm working with that at Bongo have an entire system where they can come into a community, set up business incubators, set up waste disposal, provide energy, increase the tax base. There's all kinds of things we could be doing. Thorium is in that world. It's something we could be doing, but we're not. And I really believe the nuclear industry in the United States today doesn't want to. Because if they did, they'd be pushing for it. And they'd be pushing the fact that, again, if things start to fail in a thorium reaction, it just stops. That's it. It's a, it just it, it inherently is its own failsafe because of how it works. And uh, Mario's right. The current nuclear reactors we have uh, throughout most of the world today are based on weapons technology. That's why they're dangerous. Weapons are dangerous things in the wrong hands. Um, next one, totally different. Dustin says, mortgage payoff question. I'm 32 years old. My wife's 27. We have the option to pay our house off in roughly one year. But it will take liquidating my IRA and our CD to do so. We still have my wife's IRA and our current property residence uh, and a 50-acre piece of property across the county for a safety net. In your eyes, this is a realistic consideration. You talked about the economy looking bad and getting worse in the coming years. My job stability isn't looking good, and I have very few options on finding another at the same pay scale. My wife is safe at her job, and we can easily pay all the bills on her income alone if we didn't have a house payment. If we do pay the house off, I can rebuild my RA to its current level in a little over a year, simply saving our current house payment if my job stabilizes. Any advice is appreciated. Okay, you can pay your house off in a year, liquidating your 401k and your IRA. You can build your IRA back up to its current level in one year. That means that you could also take the money you would be using to rebuild your IRA in one year pay off your house, unless there's some other things going on here financially. Here, here's the big thing. <clears throat> Without more knowledge, I really don't feel comfortable telling you, yeah, liquidate your IRA. When you say your IRA and your CD, it really scares me. Because that sounds to me like when you do this, you won't have any safety net whatsoever except you think your wife's job is safe, you own another piece of property, and you have your house paid for. Uh, that's not a safety net because there's all kinds of stuff that happens that you all own land in a house and, and the people that are needing $3,000 to fix your transmission go, we don't care. We want $3,000. Now, you want to go sell 50 acres of property to earn $3,000? So... You need to have some level of cash in reserve. Only you can make this decision. But here's what I'll say. If you did it and it works out, then fine. And, and, and it, it, I wouldn't condemn you for doing it. But I think you really need to look at this a little bit harder and think about this a little bit deeper. And maybe it's not you do it all. Maybe what it is is you take, maybe it is the IRA. Maybe you do liquidate the IRA. I mean, it, it's the most regulated money you have. I don't know how much we're talking about here either. I don't know how much is in the CD, how much is in the IRA, and how much is owned on the house. But maybe it's you pay the mortgage down by half and refinancing it, reduce uh, the payment uh, type situation to create more of a buffer and then continue to make higher payments uh, as though you had not done so. And then that way you still have cash in reserve. At the same time, you've reduced the mortgage and you've accelerated the payoff. That might be a better way to look at it. If 
what you're telling me is when you're done with this, the only safety net is your wife's job, your job, which is eh, so-so, and you owning stuff, no. If your cash balance, other than the, you know, the, the cash flow you use to pay your monthly bills, is zero at the end of this, the answer is no. You need to have 30 to 90 days minimum of reserves in capital. If you don't have that, don't do this. Now, there's some people that freak out and say, I can't believe you even let the guy liquidate his IRA. He's going to pay interest and penalties and taxes. Uh, yeah, but he's also going to own his house and not have a house payment anymore, and there, there is something to be said for that. The next thing I'd say is the very, very serious question. Do you love your house? Can you see yourself here in 10 years, 20 years? If you think you're going to sell this house anytime soon, um, you're better off with the cash. If the sell works out, fine. If you don't, the sell doesn't work out and you have to eat something, you have the cash to cover the, the loss. So unless you're going to stay put, don't do this. On the IRA, if it's a Roth IRA, understand that you can get all of the money you put in out and you're only going to pay interest and penalties on the interest accrued uh, and the profit. So what you could do is pull all of that out, leave the interest, pay no taxes and no penalties, and leave the accrued interest in there, and there is a way to do that if you fill the paperwork out properly, use that portion, and then I feel a lot more comfortable about it. I really have concerns about IRAs and 401ks long term. The government's got their eyes all over this thing. They're making it like they did it for you as a gift, and it was just given to you, and they're acting like you didn't put your sweat equity into forming it. But I'm not totally concerned about the existing ones. I'm concerned about them making a change for future contributions or future accounts and grandfathering the old ones. But it's something I definitely want to keep an eye on. So um, I'll tell you this. You can always do the Dave Ramsey thing, and it always helps clarify things. If you owned your house outright, and you had an opportunity to take a $50,000 loan on it, put that $50,000 into your IRA, start start paying on the house again, would you do it? And most people wouldn't. If you liquidate $50,000 out of the IRA and pay the house off, it's the same thing with the exception. What does it leave you with? So that's really what you're going to have to look at here. What does it leave you with? Um, then the next one, I mean... There were so many candidates for, like, the Ass Clown Award of the century in the last week. Um, one was a story about there's, like, a 9 million gallon reservoir in either, Oklahoma, uh, either Oregon or Washington. Some guy took a whiz in it, and they're draining the entire reservoir because one guy whizzed in it, even though, like, 50 or 60,000 animals probably whiz uh, around it and in it on a, on, a, on a weekly basis, deer and birds and stuff like that. So one guy takes a leak in a 9 million. That, that was kind of an ass clown thing. Some other idiot economist came out with a story uh, that basically said urban farms were bad. Uh, because they increase fossil fuel usage, because it's easier to move food than people, uh, and totally ignore it. So there was all kinds of stupid stuff out there in the last week. But this one, uh, folks, this one, this one stands above it all. Let me read this to you. You cannot make stuff up that's this stupid. TSA stands by officers after pat-down of an elderly woman in Florida. Doesn't sound that bad yet, does it? Just wait. The Transportation Security Administration stood by its security officer Sunday after a Florida woman complained that her cancer-stricken 95-year-old grandmother or mother was patted down and forced to remove her adult diaper while going through security. 
Reports of the incident took hold in social media with scores of comments and topics of reposts appearing hourly on Twitter Sunday afternoon. The TSA released a statement Sunday defending its agents' actions at Northwest Florida Regional Airport. While every person and item must be screened before entering secure boarding area, TSA workers with passengers to resolve security alarms in a respectful and sensitive manner, the federal agency said. We have reviewed the circumstances involving this screening and determined that our officers acted professionally and according to proper procedure. Do you know what the problem with that is? In their eyes, it's true. It's proper procedure to remove an adult diaper from a 95-year-old woman in a wheelchair stricken with cancer because we have to make sure she's not a terrorist for Al-Qaeda. Let me put two words in here, the only two words that fit this this, this angle. Bullshit. All right? If there was ever proof that this is being abusive and nonsensical, then this is it. We need to do something about this. I'm not sure what other than to continue to write your Congress people at the state and the federal level and tell them you want this thing, you want this get gotten rid of. This is all about money. Those naked body scanners cost billions of dollars. You and I paid for them, and people in government own stock and own portions of the company. Uh, people right in, in in the cabinet have an ownership stake in that company. It's that makes the scanners. Um, it is completely unacceptable to me that a 95-year-old old lady in a wheelchair um, treated with cancer would be put through the embarrassment of removing an adult diaper to get on an airplane. It's, it's, it's unacceptable. It, it really is. And anybody that thinks this is acceptable, you really need to evaluate where you're coming from when you think that. Um, no greater time than uh, to bring up one of a great quote from one of our founders, Those who sacrifice liberty for safety deserve neither. Uh, this is the sacrifice of liberty for safety. And a people that allow it to go on unobstructed long enough get to a point where they actually don't deserve either one. I don't want to get to a point where this nation no longer deserves its liberty. All right, last one for today. This is from Terry on Facebook in response to one of my posts. Uh, and Terry said, and the uh, city defaults begin. Of course, I've been saying that kind of the, 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 go, the way we'll go forward here with the financial crisis is we'll start to have a crisis in the bond market, uh, which will be precipitated by city and state defaults. Uh, starting with the cities, when we start to see the cities fall, states bailing them out or hiding under new laws and, and getting away with it, And we start to see them kind of snowball, and eventually the states start to follow suit. That's when it's end game on the economy for this current phase. And uh, apparently in Pontiac, um, the financial meltdown is a little bit ahead of where I, I thought it would be. So things are tough in Michigan. Let me read this article to you. I, I really just need to read the whole thing to you, and we'll talk about it a little bit, and we'll wrap up this uh, for the Monday show. Pontiac's financial status is spiraling down despite the city becoming this week the first in Michigan to void public employee union contract under a new state law. There are things I can't control. I just opened the mail, the city's emergency financial manager, Michael Stamfler, said, uh, referring to notices in the past 45 days of stunning reversals in Pontiac's fiscal status. The bad news Stamfler uh, received from Oakland County, the state of Michigan, and others in his mail included a 21.4% decline 
in taxable taxable property values last year, dropping tax revenues by 2.6 million this year, uh, $2 million dollar plunge in expected state revenue sharing, and an 80% drop in property value within a special business district, a loss of 1.7 million in taxes needed to make bond payments for the downtown Phoenix Center. Uh, Marriott Hotel and the former General Motors Centerpoint Complex remodeled this year into the Rally Michigan Studios for filmmaking. See, folks, when uh, when they tell you that we're building all this stuff and you're voting for bonds, it'll all be okay and you're not really going to pay for it, you're really paying for it because it's your tax dollars that pay back against the bonds. Uh, Stamfler detailed the setbacks in a letter dated Wednesday to address, address the taxpayers. With the new setbacks, even if the city were to lay off every current employee... Let me read that again. If, with the new setbacks, even if the city were to lay off every current employee, the city would still be $1.5 million in deficit. And these unfavorable trends are projected to continue, Stamfler said. As recently as fiscal year 2009, Pontiac had a $1.4 million surplus under previous financial manager Fred Lieb. Um, this is not about financial management. This is about the whole place has been spending too much money for too long, and it only works until there's a recession. Uh, next up, under the new state law empowering financial managers, Pontiac is technically in receivership. That's how we've been operating, said Dennis Cohen, an attorney with Bloomfield-based Plunkett Cooney working for Stamfler. The f fresh setbacks more than wipe out $2.2 million the city expects to save next year after Pontiac police are replaced in July, uh, July 1 by county sheriff's deputies. So the entire police force is being gotten rid of to save $2.2 million, and they've already lost more than they're saving. The change delayed since January is possible after Monday's voiding of city contract with its 11 police dispatchers who bargained with the city uh, to an impasse. Uh, officials said these dispatchers can apply for new county dispatcher jobs, but aren't guaranteed to get them. <laughs> Pontiac's plight is considered a bellwether for Michigan cities in fiscal straits. Other ent entities with emergency financial managers are Encourse, uh, Benton Harbor, and Detroit Public Schools. The situation dire, but there are still some options, including demanding deep concessions from firefighters, Pontiac Mayor Leon Jutsky said. I know the balance of power has shifted to, Stam uh, to Stamfler and away from the union, said Jutsky, whose salary of $50,000 was cut to zero by Stamfler in March. Pay for city council members dropped from $15,000. Uh, a few years ago to zero as well, he said. The city's last resort, a default on city bonds, which is all but unthinkable because it would affect county and state bond ratings, Jokowski said. I think the powers that be would move heaven and earth to avoid that. <laughs> Pontiac's 21.4% drop in property values topped all Oakland communities this year. Hazel Park was second at 17.7, County Equalization Director Dave Hubler said. Okay, so here's the, here's the deal. The guy says... If we fired every single employee we have, we'd still be a million and a half in the hole. But I think there's still some options. So we're going to cut the salary of the mayor and the city council to zero. Okay, well, wait, wait. We get rid of everybody, and we're a million and a half in the hole at best, if nothing else goes wrong. So your solution is you're going to cut a few politicians' salaries for political reasons. Great. Uh, fine. Maybe the mayor of a city this bad should work for free. Um, but it doesn't really it's, it doesn't really do anything to solve the problem. <clears throat> the big thing here, <clears throat> and this is really important that you get this because this is this is how the catalyst goes forward. This is how we get to the next phase of this, and this is where we get <clears throat> not one city, but twenty, thirty, forty, fifty cities across the nation doing this same formula. 
where we start to drag states into the mess. The one line is, I think the powers that be would move heaven and earth to avoid that. So, um, and the reason he feels that way is in the line before, the city's last resort, a default on city bonds, which is all but unthinkable, because it would affect the county and the state bond ratings, Jakorski said. Okay, so what he's saying is, the people bigger and stronger than me can't let me fail. If I fail, they fail. So the county has to step up, and the state has to step up and bail us out. We're not too worried. Basically, we're just going to do what we can until the cavalry comes. We're going to hold the, 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 the troops at the door, and we're going to wait for reinforcements. The county and, and the county and state, they're going to move heaven and earth for us because they have to, because if we fail, their bond ratings decline. <clears throat> that makes it harder for them to get money by issuing bonds county bonds, and state bonds. So is he right? Um, probably when it's one city. But what, it, well, what happens when Michigan has 10 or 15 cities that do this? What happens to California when they have 10, 15, 20 cities that do this? How long can you do this? What will, it, what will happen when 20 or 30 cities do get bailed out by various uh, states? What precedent will that set? Won't every other city that's in financial trouble in that state then say, well, you did it for them. Isn't it going to be just like when you buy one of your kids a toy, the other kid goes, oh, she got a toy. Where's mine? It's not her birthday or nothing. You just gave her a toy. I need a toy too. That's exactly what this is going to do. This is the first one. This is the first one. This is what I told you was coming, and now here it is. I told you that we would have foreigners coming in and buying up America on the cheap. And they're doing it. I told you that the next big thing that was going to happen was going to be a default at the municipal level, at the cities. That there were over 100 cities in America on the verge of bankruptcy. Here's the first one. What I'm telling you now, what I'm telling you now, is the next thing that happens is we start selling out more to foreigners on the cheap because they bring in tax money. <clears throat> and that's going to happen to all our really nice places. Right? Rust Belt stuff? No. We're not going to be selling a lot, of, a lot of stuff in Pontiac, Michigan to people from Brazil. I don't really want to be there. So the Rust Belt stuff and the declining and decaying areas of the cities will continue to decline and get worse and worse and worse, precipitating city defaults, pulling down states. The very nice places, the coastal areas, the, the tourist communities, farm money comes in and buys up all the good stuff. We end up being owned by the rest of the world. States go into default. The economy completely collapses. The currency gets rebased. Probably this time going back to a gold standard of some sort. Probably tied into a global currency standard. It'll still say dollar on it. It won't say a Amero. But it might as well be world O. Because if you base all the currencies on a common denominator, all the currencies equalize. The currencies equalize, at least among the developed nations. The United States is in an extremely weak position because we're coming to it from a point of being the largest debtor moving into a commodity-backed economy. And our position in the world falls, and nations like China, Brazil, India, and Russia become financial leaders of the world. Wish it wasn't true. Wish I had better news for you on a Monday. That's what I see happening. Does this mean that everything ends and everything falls apart? No. But what it does mean 
is the United States is going to be faced with a real choice in the future. This is going to be our choice. Sell out to make the pain less when this all happens and let the rest of the world own us and let our, our special place in the world fall. Or take the pain, rebuild, do it right this time. Tell the lazy people that won't get their ass a job, work or starve. Okay? If you're really disabled, if you really can't work, if you really can't do it, we'll help you out. We're not heartless. But those of you that can get up and do anything, get up and do something or you're done. I don't care if you have to work at McDonald's, go get a freaking job. And we rebuild the country. You tell me which one you think it's going to be. Unfortunately, I think I know which one it's going to be. I think there'll be a group of society that will work our asses off to have our place solidified in the new world, whatever it is. And I think the vast majority, they're going to take whatever makes the pain a little bit less, and they're going to sell out. And that's the shift we need to be ready for. The good news is, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter uh, when it comes down to you and me and how we're going to live our lives. When the things continue to decline in value, if you're smart, if you stay out of debt, if you go to a commodity-based life, the world isn't just going to go on sale for people from Brazil. It's going to go on sale for you, too. There is a lot of positives to this negative if you're prepared for it. That's why I talk about being prepared all the time. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Don't jump off a bridge. I'm not telling you this is coming in the next couple days. I'm telling you that the next four to five years are going to be very, very interesting. And I'm telling you, I very much hope that I'm wrong about this. And there is a significant chance that I would be wrong because I'm going way out on a limb here. But personally, it's what I see coming. And it's what I'm preparing for. It's what I suggest you prepare for. The good news is you have time, you have knowledge, and you have the ability. So get with it. Start building that better life. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares.